together as Christ's body to worship our God and King. Amen? Amen. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that we can gather together and enter even the most holy place because Christ our Savior has opened the curtain to let us in. He says we can together draw near to God our Father with sincere hearts and in full faith because the Holy Spirit lives to cleanse us and then clothes us with a righteousness not our own, but God's righteousness. Amen? And this is my favorite part of that passage in Hebrews 10. Advice from the scriptures to us this morning. The writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. How good and pleasant it is for we God's children to come together, to love together, to live together in unity. Amen? How good and pleasant it is to hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess for he, Christ Jesus, who promises is faithful. Amen? Amen? How good and pleasant it is to love one another in the name of Christ, to therefore live in a way that we are not only gathering together, but we are living as family, not just knowing that we're the body of Christ, but living as truly members of one another, spurring one another on toward love for God and his kingdom, towards love for all the earth and all our father's children. Amen? How good and pleasant it is to hold on to our hope, Christ Jesus, to live for our Savior, Christ Jesus, to live for his church, our family, the body of Christ, we as members together, and to every single day, love and live to encourage one another all the more, because every single day we're closer to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, where we will be with him always and forever. Amen? Amen. What a joy and blessing to be with you all again this morning. What a joy and blessing to celebrate fathers this morning. Happy Father's Day, everyone. To all who humbly and lumbly, and lumbly, to all who humbly and lovingly serve in the ministry of fatherhood, may you know and feel the Lord's blessing, especially today, but hopefully every day. And may you continue to live and love to be a blessing to your world around you. Amen. You know, all of us are compelled, not just fathers, all of us are compelled to take on and model for the generation to come. A life and a love that looks very much like the life that Christ lived, and that the love our Father gifts. So sisters and brothers, may this day be also a reminder to all of us that we are called to give thanks, that we are called to praise God for all our blessings. But may this day also remind you, remind all of us, that we are called to live and worship as the blessings that our Father desires to give to our world. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 8. John 8, we'll be reading verses 48 to 59. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the walls here up front. John 8, 48 to 59, so reads. Then Jesus answered and said to him, I'll wait for you. That's all right, we're good. You'll just listen or follow in your Bible. This is why you should bring Bibles to church. John 8, 48 to 59 reads. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? 
Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom I say that, of whom you say that he is your God. Verse 55, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I do keep his word. Your father Abraham, well, he rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Our passage this morning starts out with some opponents of Jesus choosing to go the route of, I can hurt you by saying some really, really mean and terrible things. If you have siblings, you'll know that route. Honestly, though, was there anything worse back then than calling someone who fashioned themselves as a self-respecting Jew, was there anything worse than calling them a Samaritan? Probably not. Now add in some defamation of character, mix in uh, the not-so-subtle assault on Jesus' credibility. Surely they thought and pretty much said, how can you, Jesus, be a prophet when you're clearly possessed by an evil spirit? As one of our old family friends growing up used to say, them be some fighting words. The scribes and the Pharisees saying to Jesus, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Then be some fighting words. Now to be fair, our passage comes at the end of what had been a long day for all the involved parties. It comes at the crux of what looks to be the climax of a very long conversation. A conversation that had grown heated, to say the least. A conversation where Jesus had stood up to his opponents and their failed attempts to bully him, to scare him into submission. He responded to their idle threats and their vain words by mapping out a thorough, a complete, a 100% defense of his divinity. Like one of my all-time favorite television characters said, you come at the king, you best not miss. Yet the scribes and the Pharisees come and keep coming at Jesus here in John 8, but they miss over and over and over and over again. They came at the king, but all they could do was miss. First, they dragged out a woman called in adultery, which as a kid, that always got me, right? Like you're reading through your Bible, you're supposed to read critically. All these men catch this woman in adultery, and the kid in me says, how? Right? Like, this wasn't just like, oh, I happened to see it in the window. This is, we caught her in adultery, all of us, at the same time. Jesus, look. But that's just me. Again, that's speculation. First, they dragged out a woman caught in adultery to stand before Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees interrupt Jesus' teaching at the temple. They do this, you see, to test Jesus, to put him in a corner, to pin him down with something, anything that they can accuse him with. Is Jesus going to submit to the law and advocate that this woman be stoned for her adultery? Is Jesus going to ignore the law of God and submit to the law of Rome? Which we didn't really like Rome except when she was on our side. Kind of how some of us feel about America. What or what will you do, Jesus, with such darkness in this woman? You who say the Christ, what are you going to do with this darkness? Well, ignore them. Write something on the ground. Ask for anyone who was perfect and without sin to be the first one to pick up the stone. Write on the ground again and watch. 
and watch and watch. Watch as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, convicts the accusers of this woman of their own sin. Free the woman from this earthly condemnation. Look in her eyes and then free her from heavenly condemnation and then invite her to live in Christ. Then turning to the accusers who are, who are walking off, Jesus seemingly says, darkness, darkness, darkness. Well, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not enough to come at King Jesus and miss once. The scribes and the Pharisees return. This time the accusation is that Jesus only bears witness of himself, and obviously this witness is not true. To this Jesus says, well, at least you're right on one thing this time. I do bear witness of myself, but my witness is indeed true. Thing is, you don't even know truth. You don't even know where I'm from or where I'm going. My father bears witness of me also, and you wouldn't know. Why? Because you don't know him. Why? If you knew me, you would know my father. And if you really knew my father who you say is your God, you would know me. This is where in the story you can almost picture the scribes and the Pharisees growing in frustration, growing in anger, growing in hostility. This is where Jesus continues to build his case for his divinity. All in this chapter, Jesus says, you don't know me or my father. You are from below, but I am from above. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. The things which I heard from him, God the Father, these are the things I speak to the world. I speak these things as the Father himself has taught me. I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father. You are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, something that not even Abraham could do? I proceeded forth and have come from God. Jesus has said all of this to his opponents, the scribes and the Pharisees. They come at him again and again and again, and they miss again and again and again. They come at him, and what they got in, in return was Jesus' unflinching defense of his divinity. You know, Jesus so completely whipped them in this argument that his opponents had resorted to name-calling and marginalizing. Do we not say rightly that you're a Samaritan? and attempting to incriminate Jesus. Do we not say rightly that you have a demon? In hopes that by branding him a Samaritan, in hopes that by attributing his work, his ministry, his teaching, to be powered by demon activity, surely that would be enough to discredit Jesus. Surely, no, not at all. In fact, none of it works. Jesus' unflinching defense of his divinity, that yes, Jesus, I am Lord, that yes, Jesus is God, that yes, yes, Jesus has come to be light to the darkness, that yes, Jesus has come to show the world a witness that is true and from the Father, that yes, Jesus lives to forgive sins, that yes, Jesus is the truth that sets us free from all those who would believe and give their lives to him, that yes, all of this, all of this seems to be built on one simple truth. Truth. children look like their parents. Mind-blowing, I know. You weren't ready for that. It snuck up on you. <laughs> children look like their parents. It's mind-blowing. That's why I'm here, you know? 
You can look at the council report and you'll know that's why they pay me the big bucks. Mind-blowing truth. Children look like their parents. Bear with me a quick minute. Remember that one of the most amazing tools Jesus uses to effectively teach is to start out with a basic truth that we can all understand. He starts with where we are, and then he builds on it to take us to where he desires us to go. So how do we understand this morning when Jesus says to us, I and my Father are one? Simple. We must hold on to this truth. Children look like their parents. I remember when Harper was born, holding her and looking at her, I could see some physical characteristics that were from both Shell and I. Again, not that illuminating, but it was still altogether incredible. We had a daughter that had lips, nose, ears, and a big head. I'll let you guess who she got that one from, and more, right? All these characteristics were from us. Why? Simple. Children look like their parents. In the two and a half years since, I've watched her as and looking like she's matured more from merely the physical characteristics to now including person and personality, to voice, and she got a voice, to as the French say, joy de vivre, passion, unbounded joy, or as my grandma used to say, our baby's got fire in her bones, y'all, <laughs> to character traits we get, the blessing of seeing her develop. I think you can ask Shell and I will both tell you in Harper, we see ourselves. Why? Because children look like their parents. Now that you've understood that part, you're an expert this morning in understanding John chapter 8 and everything going on here. Jesus is taking his divinity on the same premise, children look like your parents. You want to know what the father looks like? Look at me, says Jesus. You want to know what the father says? Listen to me, says Jesus. You want to know how the father acts? Follow me and discover my actions in partnership with the Spirit. And in the name of the Father, children look like their parents. Amen? Amen. This is why if we want to know the Father, we must know Jesus. Amen. If we want to hear the Father, we must learn to hear Jesus. And if we want to know how the Father acts, we must follow Jesus, see how he acts, and that is how we must walk. Amen? Amen. This is why, you know, Children look like their parents. You want to understand everything about this John chapter 8, you have to start there. You have to start with Jesus' premise that children look like their parents. Now we got time for some family fun time. I know you didn't know we're going to have family fun time this morning, but we are. Got my pen all set. While we can grasp this already known concept that children know, look like their parents, all of us in this room can know that. We can build on it and, and say that is how we can understand this passage, this entire scripture this morning. We can both know Christ is God, and we can know Christ is our own Lord and Savior. We got to add one more layer to this. This is what I need y'all to do. This is the family fun time. This is the audience participation part of the service. Well, the second or third one, but let's go. We're going to answer this. This is exciting because you get to call out in church. Yay. I want you to answer this simple question. What does God look like? The trick is, I'm looking for one-word answers or a couple words in a short phrase. Matter of fact, if you say more than four, four words, you're wrong, right? We're just going for one word, right? Or a short phrase. What does God look like? Feel free to call out. Ready? Go. What do you say? What does God look like? Me. Me. Love. Undefeated. Undefeated? Is that what I heard? I'll take it. Holy. Keep going. You. Holy, light, air. air, is that air, did I get that right? Rain, full of grace. 
Oh, full of grace. I don't know how I got rain. Bless. <laughs> Holiness. <laughs> All right. So hopefully that's just uh, any more. What does God look like? Truth. Love. We can say it again. Gentleness. Forgiveness. All of us. What was that last one? Dad. See, hopefully this is just a small snippet. You know, listening to what you all said and even thought, it was beautiful just for me to be up here and say it. It was life-giving truth, right? Looking at who God is, it's life-giving truth and a reality we must walk in. What does God look like? Love, righteousness, mercy, grace, truth, love, faithfulness, protector. I'm combining both services because I can't. Protector, life, light. Me, you, all of us, undefeated, you, holy, light, love, full of grace, holiness, gentleness, all of us, love. The challenge for you today is simply this. If children look like their parents, and if all of this is what God looks like, and if you call yourself a child of God, is this what you look like? Do you look like faith? Do you look like hope? Do you look like love? Do you look like Jesus? Do you look like righteousness? Do you look like mercy? Do you look like grace? Do you look like truth? Do you look like light? Do you look like faithfulness? Do you? Because here's the thing. These characteristics we all named this morning, they're not one-time thing. Like if God is love and we are to look like God, we too must be love. Love is not simply when we say it or when we feel it or if we like you. If God is love and you're a child of God, you're supposed to look like God, you must love now, always, and forever. Amen? Amen. Oh, and they're not percentages either. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, this is what I used to do. I'm like, well, okay, if God is holy, just, and true, and merciful, and we too must be holy, and just, and true, and merciful, that's like, that just means 25% of the time I'll be holy, 25% of the times I'll be just, 25% of the times I'll be merciful, and 25% of the time I'll be true. We tend to think of God as percentages, but he's not. Because God is 100% holy. God is 100% just. God is 100% merciful. God is 100% faithful. God is 100% the comforter. God is 100% the protector. And if God is 100% all these things, and that's what he looked like, and we say we are his children, we have to be 100, y'all. Amen? So if children look like their parents, and we are to look like God, this brings us to the second critical common sense truth. My grandpa was a brilliant man, and one of the things he said is that like, you can have all your degrees, but if you don't have that CS, you're useless to everyone. And everyone always fell for the joke every time, like, what's the CS? I don't know that one. Common sense. <laughs> this brings us to the second critical common sense truth that we will build on this morning. So if the first one was children look like their parents, if we are children of God, we too must look like him. The second one is this, ready? Mind-blowing. Siblings look like each other. You got that one? Siblings look like each other. Again, mind-blowing truth I know. That's why I'm here. Jesus' unflinching defense of divinity, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that yes, yes, Jesus has come to be light to the darkness, that Jesus has come to show the world a witness that is true and from the Father, that Jesus lives to forgive sins, that Jesus is the truth that sets us all free, that Jesus is the truth that lives our life, and if we would just believe and give our lives to him, he will take us to where he desires us to be. 
All of this seems to be built on one simple truth in this passage. Children look like their parents. However, the proof, especially when God, our Father, or Jesus, our Christ, isn't always physically apparent to us, right? The proof that we belong to him is found in each other and this forever truth. Siblings look like each other. Again, another mind-blowing truth. That's why I'm here. Children look like their parents. Siblings look like each other. Mind-blowing, I know. But bear with me another quick minute. Remember again that one of the most amazing tools that Jesus uses to teach us is to start with a basic truth that we all know and can understand. He starts with where you are, and then he builds on it to take you to where he desires you to be. So when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, how are we to understand that? Simple. We must hold on to this truth. Children look like their parents. We must hold on to this proof that since God is our Father and Jesus Christ isn't always physically apparent to us, the proof has to be that siblings look like each other. I remember when Kennedy was born back in late April, holding her and looking at her, the most startling yet abundantly clear truth was, my goodness gracious, she looks just like Harper. Again, not that illuminating, but still altogether incredible. We had a daughter that had lips, nose, ears, and that Johnson big head. I gave it away. It was for me. <laughs> and more. That was from us, yes. But altogether, she rested in her arms. She looked more and more like her sister than she looked like Shell or I. Why? Children look like their parents, but siblings look like each other. In the almost two months since, the physical resemblance still very much remains with our girls. I'm weirdly proud to admit that I've stumbled and called Kennedy Harper way more than I can remember. Now, as she gets older, you know, I don't want to give her a complex. As she gets older, I'll have to get much better at that. As she grows and her person and personality emerges and her voice and character traits burst forth, it'll become easier, I'm sure. Nevertheless, I think you can ask Shell and I, and we'll both tell you, in Kennedy, we see more of Harper than we see ourselves. Why? Because siblings look like each other. Now, if you can understand that children look like their parents, and then add on to the truth that siblings look like each other, you're now an expert expert in understanding everything Jesus is saying in John chapter 8, including the passage this morning. See, Jesus is staking his divinity, his being God, on the same premise that children look like their parents. And here's the new part. Jesus is staking our participation. That's what I want you to hear. Our participation in the family of God on this simple truth. Jesus is God's son. He is our brother. And siblings look like each other. So again, the question remains, do you look like Jesus? You want to know what the father looks like? Look at me, says Jesus. You want to know what the father says? Listen to me, says Jesus. You want to know how the Father acts? Follow me and discover my actions in partnership with the Spirit and in the name of the Father. Children look like their parents, amen? But siblings will always look like each other. So if the world wants to see what the Father looks like, they will find it in we, his children, looking like Jesus. If the world wants to hear what God has to say, they must hear it through our spirit-infused voice, infused voice, sounding like Jesus. If our world wants to know how the Father acts, they can know it in how we live, in actions that partner with the Spirit, in actions in the name of the Father, then in action when we're actually living as the body of Christ. Yeah. 
A lot of us know that we're the body of Christ. But how many of us live as the body of Christ? How many of us live as members of one another? How many of us live that when you hurt, I hurt? When you're joyed, I'm joyed. How many of us live that the person next to you is not just a child of God, but that's my brother, that's my sister, that is me? We can know the body of Christ, but it's time we start living as the body of Christ. Amen? Our world knows us, but do we know Jesus? Our world listens to us, but is the communicated message from Jesus or from somewhere else? Our world takes notes of our actions and even our inactions. Are we following Jesus? Are we learning how he acts? Are we partnering with him to do his kingdom work? I hope so. Why? Because children look like their parents and siblings look like each other. You want to understand everything in John 8? Just remember, Jesus is basing everything on the fact that I am God's son. I look like the father. And Jesus is strongly implying here that if y'all want to join the family and participate in this family work, you have to look like Jesus. So how much have you been looking like Jesus lately? How much have you been looking like Jesus, our brother? Now it's time for some more family fun time. We're not going to put your business out there. It's going to be between you and God. While we can grasp our already known concept that children look like their parents and siblings look like each other, while we can build on them and add that this is how we can understand this scripture this morning, while we can build in on, and know that this is what Jesus means when he says, I and my father are one, we need to add this one layer, I think. This is what I need you all to do. Take a quick moment to think of a sister or a brother in Christ that you admire in the faith. Hopefully this comes easy for you. If not, you've got homework. <laughs> and your homework is this. Find people in the faith that encourage you, that spur you on to the love of God, that spur you on to do the kingdom work. Now, if you do have that person you admire in the faith, I want you to do two things. One, I would like you to pledge to pray for that person every day this week, every single day. Now, when God told me to say that, I was just like, God, that's hard. He goes, what are you worried about? That's not your problem. That's their problem. I said, oh, I love you. Yeah. So, so that's what y'all got to do. You know, that's what y'all, I mean, I'll do it too, but that's what y'all have to do. Pray for that person every single day. And two, I want you to pick one characteristic you admire about that person. Then I want you to ask God for you to grow in it. Because in looking like that sister or that brother, you will be looking like Jesus our Lord. Amen. And that's how you actively participate in this family, the family of God and Father. Sisters and brothers, when Jesus says, my Father and I are one, he is broadly declaring his divinity. He's saying the proof is that we have a family resemblance. He's saying that children look like parents and siblings look like each other. This morning, our challenge is to ask, do we look like Jesus? And what is the proof in our life that this is true? If we belong to the Father, do we look like him? If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, do we look like him? If you and I are members of one another and together the body of Christ, are we siblings that look like each other? Jesus says, I and my Father are one. May we be as one. You know, we got a little bit of time here. Oh, plenty of time. I debated whether or not I wanted to end with this story. One of the things I was thinking about this passage is that, you know, it's so foundational. We have to understand this. We have to know that we need to look like Jesus always. And that's how we show we belong. But a lot of us, sometimes, and I try to put some practical things at the end, but a lot of times this seems to be a concept that we can't wrap our hand around, right? It's just like, I didn't look like Jesus. What does that look like? 
you know, we got a story. Um, a couple weeks ago, one of my friends posted something online and he had the top 25 listed most highly segregated cities in the United States. Shocking to me is that most of them were in the Northeast, right? The other shocking part to me, which, well, I'll take that back. The other not so shocking part to me was that we, the great state of Pennsylvania, had five cities and counties on the list. And as I'm going through the list, I saw the Harrisburg Carlisle Metroplex. And I saw that and I was just like, oh, they did that so we can have the numbers. But I'm wait, wait, Harrisburg's on this list. And, and then my posture, I have to confess, my posture when I saw this list wasn't a posture of defeatedness. Like, I, I was excited. I was just like, see, this is the work we need to do. This is why we need to step up and be the light. This is why we need to go into these dark places. This is why we got to model the body of Christ. This is why we got to be sisters and brothers. Let's go, everyone. We got to go. You can clap. I was pumped. I was real, real high. I was ready to go. See, y'all, the first service, they were feeling that part, man. Y'all just know something's coming. Look at y'all. Y'all just sitting there like, where's he going with this, right? First service, man, you, you thought the roof lifted or something. They were pumped there. But I was pumped, man. I was ready to go. I saw that list, and I wasn't defeated. I saw that list, and I wasn't just challenged. I saw that list, and I'm just like, see, this is the work we got to do. Join in, right? The very next day, I think God wanted to remind me, right? It's one thing to say, this is the work we got to do. It's another thing for you to actually see it. That morning, I got a phone call from uh, a kid in our church who was supposed to go to camp and messed up in school. And mama said, you can't go to camp. You failed a class, you know? <laughs> it's a good mom. And so, and, but when they had paid, they actually paid in cash. Now, a lot of you know, based on my stories, my dad was killed when I was seven, so I was raised by single moms my whole life, right? So I know, I know the pain of needing cash, right? And I know the pain of not having cash and not knowing what you're gonna do, not just for tonight, but the next day and the day after. So when I got my posture changed, I was just like, you know what, man, she needs cash, I'm gonna take it to her, you know? But I was just like, hey, listen, we meet Wednesday night, Sunday, I'll come after work, she goes, I kind of need the cash today. And I was just like, oh, okay, uh, where do you want me to bring it? Your lunch break? She goes, I kind of need it as soon as possible. And I was just like, all right, I guess I'll come to your work, right? So she's like, yeah, bring it to my work. I was like, okay, cool. So I get off the phone, hop in the car, and I'm driving, right? And I live right across the river, right two blocks from the governor's mansion. So Lemoyne, which is where she worked, like five minute drive. So as I'm driving, it hit me. I was just like, ooh, I got my phone. This is going to be a little challenging because I got to find where she works without a phone. And then I had my first thought, genius thought of the day. I was just like, man, Lemoyne's not that big. It's about, what, one mile wide, square all around. You know what I mean? I was just like, and this is the first real mistake I make was, Lemoyne can't have that many nail salons, right? That was the first mistake I made. And if you're laughing, you know, you know, right? So I go down the main street, and I don't see one. I don't see two. I see three. And I'm not even looking for them, and I see three, right? So now I'm just like, oh, dear God, what are we going to do, right? So I was just like, well, might as well try it. You know, maybe the Lord will bless me today, you know? So I park in the one, I walk in, and I will say, man, I like to get a petty. You know what I mean? I'm not fronting. It feels good, you know? I think my feet are nasty. If you want to get down there and clean and pretty it up, bless you. Bless your heart, right? You know? So it wasn't like I walked in like a total stranger, but I walked in like a total stranger, right? Like I walked in the door and all these ladies, it was almost like a movie. You saw all that, like everybody was working. As soon as I hit the door, it was like, Boo. right? And so then you feel some type of way, you try to play it off, right? And I was just like, is Jane here? Her name's not real Jane, but we you go with it. Like, is Jane here? And that made it even more awkward, right? Because it was just like, why are you here? Who's Jane? Why are you yelling? You know, why are you yelling at us, you know? So needless to say, Jane wasn't there. 
So I was like, well, I did see two or three other ones. Let's try them, right? Fail, fail, fail. And finally, and there's the, the best part, the only, well, I'll take that back. The interesting thing about this story is I really only live five minutes away. I could have gone home and gotten the phone and came back and been good, but I'm a little stubborn, right? You know, so I'm just, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna find this nail salon, right? Then I get this genius idea. I get this genius idea doing my little laps around Lemoyne, right? That, wait, this is the Lemoyne market. People go, it's about lunchtime, people eat delicious food, right? There's tons of people there. Somebody surely is gonna help me. You know what I mean? All I need is the address of the 17 nail salons, just give me the right one, right? So I pull into the Lemoyne market, and my, my probably second biggest mistake is, and we all do this, we all got prejudgments, we'll call them, right? I see these two dudes talking. Uh, one's about 50-ish, you know, standing there. The other guy's about my age, so he's like 30-ish, right? But here's the thing. There's two things I saw when I saw this guy. This is my prejudgment, so you have to figure me. The first thing is he had like purple hair, like a streak of purple, like maybe a third of his hair. So my first prejudgment was, I guess, you know, 30-ish, you can still have purple hair. I didn't know. Someone should have told me, right? The second one was, oh, he's got purple hair. He's got to be laid back and cool. No big deal, right? So I saw them with their phone. I walk out, get out the car, and I was just like, hey, um, this lady at my church, you know, she needs some help, and I got to drop something off at her job. Can you please look up an address for me? And the 50-ish guy looks at me, and he goes, get away from here. You're not welcome here. And I go, hmm, oh, that's interesting. Um, Okay, so we'll just keep you here. We'll turn to the 30-ish guy, you know what I mean? Like, we'll turn to him, you know? And I was just like, yeah, um, I just really need you to look up this nail salon so I can drop off something for this lady at my church. And the guy's like, I told you, you're not welcome here. Excuse me, you're intruding on our conversation. Get away from us. I turn again to the guy, and I was just like, dude, seriously, can you please just look it up? He goes, oh, man, I just, you know, data. I was, I'll pay for your data. I don't care what the monthly fee, I'll pay for your data. And, and again, you know, Harper's two and a half, so I got at least a master's degree in tamper tantruming, right? The 50-ish guy has a tamper tantrum. He grabs the other guy's hand, he storms off, he's like, I told you you're not welcome here, what are you doing here? Leave us alone, stop bothering us, get away from here. And now I'm just like, oh, this is happening. This is, this is really happening, you know? And, 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 and so I'm sitting there, and here's the thing, man. These things, sadly, right, I work with a lot of young people, and if you don't know, you should know, that a lot of young people call it the white shore. They don't call it the west shore. You know, there's a lot of microaggressions that happen. If you need to know what microaggression is, it's stuff like this, you know? Or you can research it on Wikipedia. There's a great PhD from Harvard who defined it all. It's great. But a lot of these microaggressions are what we live with, so this is why they call it the white shore. It's not because they think everyone's racist. They just, every time you go, you might bump into a few, right? Um, so I'm sitting there like shocked that this is happening. I wish I had words, right? And I'm sitting there like, this is crazy. And I look in the corner of my eye, there's a lady eating her lunch in her car, and she's shaking her head, and I was just like, thank God. Like, I'm not crazy. Somebody else saw this ridiculousness. Somebody's gonna go help me out. So I walk over to her and I go, I know this is wild, I know this is crazy, but can you please look up something in your phone and help me out? I just need to find this nail salon. She goes, um, please get away from me, I'm eating my lunch. I was just like, ooh, this is, this is not going well. You know, and I was just like, excuse me? She goes, please get away from me, I'm eating my lunch. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, this, this can't keep happening, you know? So I turn, I turn, I'm walking to my car. As I'm walking to my car, I see a dad, right? And there's another one I saw, I was like, oh, dads. <laughs> you know, like, happy Father's Day. I'm like, hey, I know I'm not the only, I know I'm not all about gender roles and all that stuff. That's a microaggression too, right? If you look at your wife and say, you should do the dishes as woman's worth, that's not cool, you know what I mean? So like, I'm not cool with all these gender roles either, but I know as a dad, personally, my story, sometimes I go to the store and I forget stuff, you know? So I saw this dad, I just thought, hey, he's a dad, 
He'll feel my pain of forgetting the phone. Surely he can help me out. So I walk over to him, and before I could get a word out, he said, get away from me, I got to go. Please get away from me. So we have about five minutes. We have about four people. We have three different interactions where every single time my skin color was enough. My skin color was enough for them to treat me less than. My skin color was enough for them to treat me like I was the, the, not even a muck on their shoes. You know, and here's the thing. I did two things. The first one I did was, what would someone have to look like for me to not look up their address in their phone? Because here's the thing. I, I, I've dealt with a lot of trauma in my life, but you got to, like, sometimes you got to play games with it, right? You just got to, like, you got to be able to deal. So I'm like, what would someone have to look like for me to not look up an address? Like, would they have to have, like, 29 needles in their arm? You know what I mean? Would they, like, what would they have to look like? And as I'm playing that game in my head, it hits me. It's like, it doesn't matter what they would have to look like for you. It just matters what you look like, and like, that's enough. And I was heated. By the time I got home, I was heated. Shell was trying to calm me down. I was like, you don't understand. We have, you don't understand, you know? And, and, and my friend Jason, who's about 6'5 and tall, he's just like, just let him go, man. You just got to let him get it out, you know? And I'm sitting there, and I'm heated because I realized, you know, I saw the list of top 25, and I saw us on there. But now I lived it. And, this, and most of us, this is not the first time. This is not going to be the last time. But I think God was reminding me, this is the work to be done. This is the world we live in. You know, I was heated for about 48 hours, really. You know? And I had a church meeting, which was great timing. And, and in the church meeting was mosaics, which is, you know, the arm of the church that kind of takes some of these things and say, yeah, yeah, you're white, you're black, you're Latino, you're Asian, but we're all members of one another. How do we walk together? We all got these stories, but how do we not only put them forefront, but how do we move from saying, oh, that's bad that happened to Hank, to I will step up and do something to help dismantle some of this, right? Like, how do we move from saying, yeah, racist is bad, to no, 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 I will work to leave that darkness in my heart behind. I will work to bridge the gap. I will work to be someone who steps up and say, no, that's my brother. I will not just hear this story and say, oh, that's bad, it happened to Hank. But I will say, this is bad, that it happened to me. Right? So I'm sitting in this meeting with Mosaics, and one of my brothers, he says this, and he says, Hank, I hear your story, brother. But here's the thing. I'm reminded that's why we're here at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. This is the work that we all have to do. This is the work that we all have to do. This is the work that we all have to do. I tell you that story because I don't think looking like Jesus is easy. I tell you that story because if you think looking at Jesus is just a concept, you're missing the point. I tell you that story because if you think what we're doing here is just some kind of new age thing, you're missing the point. If you think what we're doing here is politically correct, you're missing the point. If you think what we're doing here is just to please everyone, to please everyone, you're missing the point. We're only trying to please Jesus. This is what his church has always looked like. I tell you that story because my challenge to you this week is to figure out in your own heart, figure out in your own relationships, figure out in your own neighborhoods, figure out in your own families. How do I look like Jesus even in this? How do I look like Jesus even in this? How do I look like Jesus even in this? I'd like to call up the choir or Bart to sing the last song. We have our intercessors up. Uh, we're going to have prayer up front if you need it. I just want to end with this quick word. When Jesus says, I and my Father are one, he's basing it because he looks like the Father. But when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, and you call yourself a child of Christ, God expects you to look like Jesus. It's not enough to see darkness. Let's go and be the light, amen?
Before we leave, again, I'd like the intercessors to come up. And again, this is, this is Thomas and Mary Varghese's last Sunday with us before they go back to India. She, again, has very special gifts of discernment, uh, spiritual power. She'll be on the front row here. This is your last chance to be ministered to by her. There will also be other intercessors. Um, would you stand? Let's sing. After I listened to the sermon the first time, you know, Hank was going, I wasn't sure if I had enough time. That when he was coming up here this time, I said, preach it all, Hank. Preach it all. Let it fly. So let's, uh, let's worship. Let's pray. Let's make some decisions about what we've heard today. God, we thank you this morning that we have the blessing and privilege to gather together. The blessing and privilege to look like Jesus. The blessing and privilege to look at Jesus. God, help us this morning to always long to be like Jesus. To not tarry to be like Jesus. To live to be like Jesus. Now, Lord, as we part, help us to be reminded that though darkness is around us, we are the light. Though this world works to somehow defeat us, we win now, we win forever, we win in the end. So God, help us not as we go to always remember that children look like their parents. Help us to look like God our Father. And siblings look like each other. Help us to spur each other on for Christ and his kingdom. For Christ and his kingdom. For Christ and his kingdom. In your holy and precious name, amen. God be with you all.